Welcome to the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. My name is Jason Shoup, and I am the executive director of today's sponsor, the Association of Data and Cyber Governance. The association offers a discount on memberships for our podcast listeners when they go to www.adcg.org and use the code word POD. Today, we are led by our host, Jody Westby. We hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment. This is Jody Westby, and today we're honored to have Heather West as our guest to discuss artificial intelligence and risks to privacy and national security. Heather is a rock star. I'm so happy she's with us today. She's Senior Director of Cybersecurity Services for Venable. She's a policy and tech translator, product consultant, and long-term internet strategist working at the intersection of emerging technologies, culture, governments, and policy. Heather's areas of focus include data governance, data security, digital identity, and privacy in the digital age. Prior to joining Venable, she had stints at Meta and Mozilla. So Heather, this is going to be so much fun. I just love exploring privacy and security risks with new technologies. And artificial intelligence, or AI as we'll call it on this program, has been taking the press by storm lately. Chat GPT seems like it's in headlines every day. It's really stirred up a storm and and stimulated lots of articles on AI. So let's start off with a foundation for our listeners. Can you tell us what is AI? And while you're doing that, please tell us what ChatGPT is. Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. I agree. This is going to be a lot of fun. AI has been one of my favorite topics for a long time. And you're right. People are paying a lot of attention to it right now for good reason. But yeah, let's start by kind of defining artificial intelligence. It's actually a really general term and it's thrown around a lot without clear definitions. But at its core, it's a set of techniques to take a huge amount of data and analyze it via a computer, creating correlations. And you can use those correlations as a model to then create an output. We call it artificial intelligence or AI because a lot of these applications really seem to be intelligent and in ways that like on their face seem very similar to the way that we as humans are thinking and processing data. But it's actually really different because computers actually process that information so differently than the way that our brain does. But those computational techniques have really advanced in such a way that often the output looks like it's coming from a brain, frankly. A lot of people are talking about chat GPT, as you mentioned. Um, I want to be clear that that's one kind of AI. And we'll, we'll move, I think, a little bit beyond that in this discussion. But ChatGPT is a chatbot. And that just means, in my mind, that you can have a conversation with it via natural language processing. And that's a term of art for AI that can intake language and output a response. And so you type in a question or you ask it to create something, and it does. I think the first thing that I asked ChatGPT to do was to write a song about my dog. And it gave me like this, this little ditty that was incredibly cute. I was really impressed. But ChatGPT isn't the first chatbot, and it's not the last. There's a lot of chatbots that, that people are kind of 
bringing out into the world right now because of all of this attention. I do think it's worth rewinding a little bit to kind of early, early chatbots. The first one that I played around with years and years and years ago is called Eliza. And that actually was a chatbot created in the 60s. And it would pattern match to respond to a sentence. But it was pretty clear that it didn't really have context to the conversation. It felt more like almost a therapist asking you probing questions, but it couldn't really respond. Chat GPT, on the other hand, is able to kind of follow the conversation and respond appropriately and create something new for you. It's really pretty fun. Yeah, the evolution is really fascinating to kind of pay attention to and think about. So I guess you could put it in one of those little robots and then you could sit there and have a conversation with the robot. (laughs) Yeah, well, and in many ways, we already live in that world. I have a bunch of voice assistants in my house and I do exactly that. I Mm -hmm. ask it a question, it gives me an answer. It feels like a conversation kind of out of science fiction from a, a few decades ago. Well, this is a great explanation and foundation for us to move forward on. So let's explore what can these technologies do? Who are the users of them? And feel free to give us some examples. Sure. I think that the the reason that we're paying a lot of attention to ChatGPT and some of the other examples of AI right now is that they're generating new things. We're calling it generative AI. Instead of the pattern matching that Eliza would do in the 60s, it's coming up with something new. And that is opening new doors for what AI can be used as a tool for. If you're on social media, you've probably seen some of these pretty cool selfies that are generated from AI. You know, these chatbots that can create all manner of different kinds of text. None of these techniques is inherently new, but having them available to the public is new. And having them integrated into tools like search that we use every day is incredibly new and cool. You know, a friend of mine who's a startup founder used a chatbot to create marketing materials for her company. She asked this chatbot to create some tweets for her and a little email blurb. And we were all really impressed at what this chatbot put out because it felt very natural. The language was good. It flowed. It was easy to read. It was putting words together in a new way based on the context that my friend had shared about this this kind of wellness newsletter that she was putting together that was very good. And I think that we're going to see more and more applications like that. But it is useful to remember that these are not general purpose AIs. They, they're good at very specific things. And so I think chat GPT is good at kind of holding a conversation that feels natural. But there are a lot of other things that it fails at. So is Siri a chatbot? I would say so. I think voice assistants are chatbots. And I think they're, they're kind of, they have more limitations, but they're also potentially better suited to the kinds of interactions that we have with them because those interactions are a little bit more specific. I have a couple of different voice assistants in my house. Uh, I use them to kind of turn lights on and off or to play music or to ask questions, kind of similar to the way that I might type into a search box. Uh, And they're pretty good at that. I hope they mind better than my dogs. (laughs) Fair. The generative AI, which is what we're talking about, you know, creating things using this technology, 
So you mentioned it can create something new, could write an, maybe write an article, answer questions. My question to you is those, can they be trusted? If a chat GPT writes an article on wine production, will it be accurate? What are some of the risks we need to be aware of with that regard? And I think that's one of the really important questions right in this moment for AI. And it goes back to my point about these AIs are really good at specific things. Generative AI is you know, trained on huge amounts of data, and that's the data that's really going to decide what kind of output it creates. Chatbots are generating new things in ways that feel creative, but they are not able to kind of logic their way out of a box. That's not what they've been trained to do generally. Now, that is not to say they can't be trained to do that. But if you ask ChatGPT to write an article about wine production, it's going to give you something that probably sounds pretty good. But when you go in and you actually fact check it, there's probably going to be some inaccuracies. So we still need the humans. Absolutely. These chatbots are really good at sounding credible, but they're not very good at going out and kind of doing the legwork that a journalist would do or that a Wikipedia editor would do or that I would do when I'm trying to write that article. Well, speaking of trustworthiness, one thing that's always bothered me is that AI can change its answers based on the data pool it's using. So today it can tell me one answer, but if that data changes or it has access to different data, the answer is likely to change. So with trustworthiness, it's like, well, for now or for this data set, what are your thoughts on this? You're absolutely right. The data that a, a model is trained on or the data that it intakes for an answer is absolutely going to determine the response that that AI gives you. I think that's a feature and a bug at the same time. My friend who created those marketing materials actually, I think, characterized it really well as these chatbots are really good at being truthy, not true. They, they sound true. But it's, I think it's also important to remember that we, as people, really do the same thing. We change our minds as we get more data, and that's a good thing. On the other hand, we're seeing some of these chatbots, as they get more information or as they have a longer conversation with you, they start to get muddled and they start to get a little bit lost because they're not making the same kinds of connections that we do when we are processing data as people. Mm -hmm. There are some kinds of AI that are pretty good at taking in new information. And I'm, I'm thinking in particular of like mapping apps. They need to be able to react to, to new traffic patterns. They need to know when roads are closed. They need to know when things change in that moment. And so they can adapt to that. But I think that some of these chatbots, because conversation in and of itself is such a difficult computational problem, they're a little bit less agile and less able to adapt in that moment. That said, what you said about the answer changing based on the initial data, that's true you can get a chatbot to say almost anything. Yeah, that's what you feed it. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest risks to society and democracies today is misinformation and disinformation. And for our listeners, misinformation is false or inaccurate information, just, just getting the facts wrong. 
But disinformation is false information, which is deliberately intended to mislead. So intentionally making the misstating facts, intentionally throwing something out on Twitter so that you will influence a group of people, even though that what you're sending out is is false. So we've talked a lot about the fun things, some of the good things that this technology can do, but I'd like to explore the risks a little bit because it sounds to me like this technology could be used to generate massive amounts of disinformation or there's some real risks and downsides that we need to manage. Very often we only understand the risks once we experience them. What are your thoughts on this? And while you're at it, can you tell us how to protect against these risks? Sure, you're right. These are tools that can be used to create things that seem like information, but may be false. Um, And someone who was using these tools specifically to kind of craft credible sounding information that is false or inaccurate or misleading is absolutely something we need to be thinking about. I think the difference between disinformation and misinformation when a human is creating it is a little bit different than when a chatbot is. And that's because I don't think that the the AI really has an intention there. Mm. Uh, But we've seen a lot of examples of these chatbots kind of getting it wrong because they're trying to, to give you something that feels credible and something that sounds good. And at their core, they're making a guess about what a good answer to your question is. But that means that they've been making up academic articles, they've been making up court cases, they're giving you citations that look like citations and they sound like citations, but they're not real. They and don't it's, exist. Yeah, they don't exist. <laughs> they sound really good. You know, and they got this huge corpus of information and they've said, aha, this is a title that sounds like it really could be a psychology paper or an economics paper. And this is an author who is very prolific. And here's the general format of a journal citation. And it'll put that all together into something that looks very real. I don't think that the chatbots have necessarily surpassed humans in terms of being able to create misinformation, but they're certainly going to make it easier, for example, to create misinformation in a language you're not fluent in, or um, you know, to create really convincing spam. I suspect that we're going to see a lot of very compelling spam because you know, it used to be that maybe maybe the language wasn't particularly well-crafted or there were a lot of typos. With these kinds of tools, it's a lot easier. It's it's not hard to see where my friend who's putting together this marketing material for her startup is asking very similar things to someone who might be trying to create malicious spam and trying to get into your inbox. Right. One thing here though, is I don't think chatbots are good at manipulation. Which is not to say they couldn't be trained to that, but it requires a depth of context and connection and logic, frankly, that I don't think we have seen in in publicly available AI yet. In terms of protecting ourselves, I should say I'm an eternal optimist. I'm looking at these tools and I really hope that people using them and playing around with them and kind of understanding their limitations will actually drive us all to be a little bit more critical about what we read. But I do think that that the best thing we can do 
in terms of protecting from this kind of thing is, is to really think about what we're reading and check citations and really go out and, and think about whether it makes sense. Yeah. Over time, I hope we train people to do that more often. Well, you know, it's kind of a lost art. When I was in school, and I'm older than you, but when I was in school, there it was hammered into our heads through many grades. It wasn't just one or two teachers. Consider the source. Is this reputable? Exactly. Is reliable? Consider the source. And we don't really do that much anymore. People just kind of believe what they read. And I think we may want to think about a requirement to reveal what sources the tool's using. For example, you could give a chatbot access to one-sided data, let's say on a particular issue that supports a particular political party's view. And it could create stuff, tweets, documents, advertisements, whatever, that would probably be pretty slanted and they could probably change it and run it till they got something they really liked. And in that regard, I think that it may be important to know sources of information as we get into this. Do you have any thoughts about that? Would that even be possible? It would be really difficult. I think that one of the things people don't appreciate about these chatbots is the amount of data that goes into them yeah. and, and where that can go right and where that can go wrong. I think ChatGPT is a really well-curated training set. And I'm not 100% sure where all of their training data came from, but I guarantee that that training data set and the computational power it took to train the model is absolutely mind-boggling. Hmm. I think there was an example, I want to say 2015, 2016, of a tech company releasing a chatbot that was like continually training itself on social media postings. Mm -hmm. And that chatbot really, you know, it was very quickly an incredibly obnoxious chatbot because it was training itself on essentially the worst of social media. Oh, and they actually shut it down pretty quickly because it was bigoted, it was rude, it was it was saying all sorts of things that if a human said it, you would just walk away, I hope. But to your point, that training data is incredibly important. And I do think that there's probably some best practices to be, to be created around what kinds of data you use and, and how you integrate it into an AI in general or a chatbot specifically. Well, it does concern me. I know the EU has been very big on regulating AI and the US is you know also into that space. But it concerns me a little bit because I'm not sure we know enough about it to do that. Um, on the other hand, it's, you know, it's a fair statement to make to say, it's been in development. It's a technology that's been in development for decades. And so we do know enough about it that we know enough that we should put out some protection. So we'll see what happens. Yep, Rather yep. than just looking at the risk, though, let's move back to the beneficial uses of the technology, which, as you've shown us, are too numerous to mention and not even fully known. We don't know what we don't know. But what groups of people will be the big users of this technology and what groups will it help the most? Where will it be the most transformative? Can you share your thoughts on those areas? Sure. And, and I think that it's already transforming the way that we interact with the world around us. And that's really good. I think that 
if you look at a chat bot, there's a few communities that will really, really benefit from this kind of conversational technology. Like who? One that immediately comes to mind for me is folks who are visually impaired and they interact with a voice assistant in a way that, that is really much more difficult without specialized tools. I think that similarly, there's some, some AI that, that does the very difficult work of live transcription for TV shows. I've seen it on live calls, like live video calls. Um, and those kinds of applications have the potential to really make sure that we all get to participate in the digital world. But I, I am an incredibly prolific user of some of these technologies, both because I enjoy playing around with them, but also because they make my life a lot easier. I mentioned mapping software. I mentioned my voice assistants. You know, I have very, very simple AI that automates my house. I have more complicated AI that operates literally on my dog's collar. It tells me if she's outside of a zone that the computer thinks is where she should be so that I know if she gets out of the house. I think there's really simplistic examples there, but there's also applications for underserved communities that have the potential to be really transformative. And one of my favorite examples is, you know, an AI that's trained to kind of make determinations like a doctor does. And we'll say, what are your symptoms? And how are you feeling? And where are you? And it can, it can help provide medical care somewhere that they don't have that easily available. I know that there were incredible applications of AI in trying to map the COVID genome and the virus and try to understand where it's evolving. All of these can be really simple beneficial uses or or ones that have the potential to save lives. Interesting. You mean the tracking and tracing? They were using some AI for that? Absolutely. They were guessing. They were, they were creating AI models that helped guess how COVID would spread. There are also you know, models used every day around weather forecasts and particularly forecasting extreme weather. I think that there's AI being used to make best guesses around things like earthquakes or volcano eruptions. And those have the real ability to impact someone's life in an incredibly clear and important way. Just thinking about what you're saying with the visually impaired, that's very thoughtful. Um, what about special needs children? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the patients, children that require a lot of repetitive lesson work or patience, um, a very slow learning process, perhaps, that these little bots could sit there and train these people or help educate them or, you know, understand their, but they have, would have infinite patience. And then they could also know when they were ready to move to a little bit higher level. I would think that that could be a category that could be very useful. And then I'm also thinking what you were talking about, people in developing countries yeah. where, you know, this could help educate some of the very poorest groups of people that don't get to go to schools that maybe are, you know, I'm thinking about in Bangladesh and India where some of the the slums that I visited where the mothers there would have loved to have had some sort of capability to gather the children around at night and teach them something. Sure. Um, 
I, I think that that's, that has potential for sure. Um, and especially there, there are some kids who might interact more easily with a computer right. and interact more easily with that kind of predictable, repetitive environment and, and help them gain the skills that will help them long-term. I don't want to to kind of undersell the importance of some of that human interaction though, because the AI is going to be able to help with particular pieces of that learning, but there's there's also learning to interact with other people. I don't think that we're ever gonna replace teachers. They do so much more than an AI, frankly, ever will be able to do, but there are absolutely applications like that that I think have the incredible potential to help really leapfrog people forward. Right. And our roles may may shift and shape in what we do as mothers, as teachers, as fathers, as business people. Our roles may change as this technology becomes more integrated with, with whatever we're doing. Absolutely. Now, so I have to bring up this question since we're the Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. What about data ownership? So if I ask chat GPT to produce an article for me. Do I own it? Who owns what it produces? But if it writes the same article for someone else, then do they also own it? What, what are your thoughts on this? I know you practice in there and you work in this space. Yeah, no, and I, I'll clarify that that I work in this space and I practice in this space, but I'm not a lawyer. But I'll, I'll put a little bit of a lawyer hat on for this one because it's such an interesting thicket of questions. I think data ownership period in this space is not well settled. Mm-hmm. You know, who I am and my interaction with you and my identity and the, the words that I'm saying, there's there's a very complicated ownership structure for that, right? You know, I'm here because you invited me and you put together very thoughtful questions. And then I'm saying these things and it's part of this podcast and it becomes kind of hard to untangle that. And it's even harder, as you mentioned, in the context of a chatbot. If I train a chatbot and I spend all of this time and I use this training data, well, who owns that training data? We'll assume that I licensed it and that there's like a good structure there for that. But then you ask my chatbot to write you an article. You're right. There's no clear ownership there. There has been some precedent uh, in the United States about who owns that. Um, and generally, the precedent is that if a human hasn't been involved, the ownership isn't created. So there was this case of this monkey who took a bunch of selfies with this photographer's camera. Mm-hmm. And there was a battle about, a legal battle, about whether the monkey owned the copyright. And the answer was that no, the monkey cannot own copyright, but it really caught the imagination, you yeah. know? And in the case of an AI, the AI can't hold copyright. There's been a case at the copyright office about that as well. And they said it couldn't hold the ownership? What they actually held was that you didn't have copyright protection over a work that didn't have significant human influence. Oh. And that's still feels like it's open to a huge amount of interpretation to me. But it's worth saying too that that laws globally aren't uniform about who would own copyright or or own the work that's created by a computer, created by an AI, 
and who legally is the the author or creator of that work is kind of it changes based on on the law. Don't you think that it's also going to though the lawyers will come in the room and say, no, it's all the terms and conditions of using this tool. So read our 30 pages of terms and conditions before you click accept and get to use it. I'm sure that lawyers would would love that and create a huge amount of business. And I say that as someone at a law firm, right? Uh, But I I do think that this is something that as a society, we are going to have to decide how to handle and how how to decide that ownership. If I take a picture of myself, I own that copyright and that's my selfie. And so I'm not a monkey in the US. It's well recognized that I own copyright to that, to that picture if I want it. But if I run that through AI software, it's much less clear. And yes, all of this software has terms and conditions and has some kind of, you know, some resolution to that in that contract. But I don't think that that means it's a settled matter. Well, we're about out of time, but I want to ask you before we go, if you see some particular privacy and security risks with the deployment of AI and chatbots, are there things that have come to your mind that you can see as these are kind of at the top of the plate uh, or the top of the list, so to speak, of what are some of the risks for privacy and, and security? Sure. Um, I, I think that the biggest risk for privacy is with any AI, but particularly a chatbot because of how easily it is, how easy it is to interact with the chatbot. It's possible that you would discover information about someone that you would not otherwise have easy access to. And so the chatbot is making it a lot easier to find that information. But I do think that there's also reputational risks. I can easily use a chatbot to malign someone and to create create content that maligns someone. As we discussed, there's a real risk about creating credible seeming misinformation. And that's true for any number of topics, including about people. There's probably some some interesting security risks, but they all generally fall into that bucket for me, Uh, which is not to say it's the only risk. It's just the one I've spent a bunch of time thinking about. But I do think that the, the overarching message for me is that a chatbot or any AI is a tool and it's going to be used for good things. It's going to be used for bad things. And so it's really important that we're having this conversation right now, but that we're also having the conversation as a society about what's trustworthy and whether there need to be regulations and and what roles a technology like this should be playing in our lives. I think that's really important. Um, We are not having the stakeholder conversations that we should be having for a technology as far along as this. I don't think people understand it very well. They haven't paid a lot of attention to it. It's kind of, yeah, well, I'll, I'll learn that when it, when it comes, but it's here. Um, but people That's just uh, are just now starting to, it's starting to really become much larger presence, but I don't think we have the consumer, the parents, the educators, the researchers, the government officials, and we don't have that multidisciplinary conversation going on that really helps shape policy, that helps shape laws, and ultimately helps shape how a technology is used and deployed in society. So I think that's just really a a huge gap with this technology that that we need to all work and push from our, our, our own corners to have that happen. 
I think that making these technologies publicly available, you're right, they're here, but it's really kickstarted that conversation. And I, I think that this podcast is, is a part of that conversation. Um, and I really hope to, to continue that conversation in general about all of these really important issues. Well, we just touched the surface, which means you're just going to have to come back. Uh-huh. But thank you so much for joining us today for this fascinating discussion. I'm sure our listeners are just loving it. Thank you. I would love to come back and continue the conversation, especially as this evolves. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Jody. Uh, we'll do that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's podcast and want more content about the issues we've covered, you can visit www.adcg.org. The Association for Data and Cyber Governance is the leading association connecting all aspects of data management, cybersecurity, and governance. Our listeners can use the code POD at checkout for a discount on all memberships. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us next week.